Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bible Quest. This is the Wednesday edition. Jeff, take it away. Good afternoon. This is Bible Quest, and I'm Jeff Smelser in Exton, Pennsylvania. And uh, Joe, we're missing Chase. Well, I should introduce Joe. Joe, Joe works in Elmira, New York. We're, hey, missing, Chase, we're missing Chase today, and that's uh, because of some well, good news, right? Yes, that's right. It, it, it is true that Chase is not on, and we do miss him. Oh, Those both, both your statements. <laughs> All right, we do. Um, and Chase does have some good family news. They welcomed the little one into their into their family. Uh, but we have somebody else with us today. Michael Zhang is with us today. He is here with us in the church in Exton, Pennsylvania. Michael, good afternoon. Good to have you with us. Hello. Hi, Mr. Jeff. I'm happy to be here. It, you know what? You can just call me Jeff. Especially for the webcast, just call me Jeff. Okay, Jeff. <laughs> no, we have to call Joe Mr. Joe. But um, <laughs> all right. Um, so we're gonna start in, in in Acts chapter twenty-two and verse thirty. But as usual, uh, Joe, let's get a running start at it, just so we where we we know where we are in the story of the book of Acts. Uh, give us just a little bit of background to bring us up to speed where we are. Yeah. So if we uh, just jump back a. a about a chapter and a half or so, uh, chapter 21 and about verse 17 or so, uh, Paul has arrived in Jerusalem and begins to meet with the brethren there, has a plan to try to uh, encourage the faithful Christians. The In the process of doing that, he gets falsely arrested, falsely charged and arrested and is nearly killed by a mob um uh, of of jews the roman soldiers come down rescue him in the process then they uh are ready to um uh, beat the truth out of him so to speak until they find out that he's a roman citizen um yeah I, so, I like the expression uh, in the american standard says examined by scourging beat the truth out of him yeah yeah that's pretty much what they were doing ready to do yes and then you were saying they find out Paul's a Roman citizen, and so that means they'd be in trouble if they beat him without him having been condemned of some crime. Exactly right. And so now they're gonna they want to find out. Okay, so what was it that happened? How did? Why did the Jewish mob nearly try to kill him? We have to find that out. But we can't beat Paul to find it out. Right. We need. Okay, we got a, a Wi-Fi connection issue there. Uh, so as, as Joe was about to say, they're, they're going to try a different tact. They're going to attack. They're going to take Paul and set him before the Jewish council. Uh, and it's the Jewish council, of course, that, that, uh, should be able to speak to why the Jews are so upset with Paul. So that's where we are. And, um, so Michael, I'll tell you what, if you would start in chapter 22 and verse 30, read from verse 30 down through verse, um, Let's go all the way through verse 4 of chapter 23. All right. Uh, my Bible is the Eng English Standard Version. Yep. Uh, 22, verse 30. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he, he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And and the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, 
God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil, evil of a ruler of your people. Okay. All right. Joe, you back with us? Okay, Michael, it may be you and I today. Uh, All right. If Joe Joe may be moving to another spot where he may have a better Wi-Fi connection. Oh. Well, he's back with us. Welcome back, Joe. Welcome back, Joe. Well, we'll try this a different way. All right. Uh, yeah. All right. So we just read down through uh, verse five, and we haven't talked about it at all all yet. Um, but going back to verse one, when Paul starts out saying uh, to the council, "I've lived before God in all good count." conscience to this day. I don't know it's a huge deal, but I think sometimes there's a question, uh, is he meaning just since he became a Christian or, or all his life? And, and I guess I would assume he means throughout his life, he's lived in good conscience before God. Is that the way you take it? Uh, I think that's exactly right. Even when he was persecuting, uh, he did that thinking that he was serving God. He makes that statement. So, which, yeah. which is a lesson for us. Just because I think I'm right, just because I feel good about what I'm doing, just because I am doing what my conscience tells me to do, doesn't mean that I'm doing what is right or I'm right with God. Uh, Paul has great remorse at this point for having persecuted the church of God. He, at the time he was doing it, he thought he ought to. Back earlier in the book of Acts, um, it says, or no, it's a little bit later in the book of Acts where Paul says, um, in chapter 26, right. um, in verse 9, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He thought that's what he was supposed to be doing, and yet he was he was rebelling against God and God's Messiah. Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, uh, and so uh, even when he's doing it wrong, he's trying to serve God, or he thinks that he's serving God, um, in that, uh, in those actions. And so we got all kinds of religious people today, uh, and, and all kinds of different doctrines. And we know they can't all be right, but, but there's a tendency to say, well, as long as you are, as long as you think you're doing right, or your intentions are good, that apparently that's not justification. And, and one of the ways that we can see how God dealt with that is because Paul, Saul at that time, was seeking to do right. God provided him uh, the the truth. He right. was exposed to the truth, and then he changed his heart. And so when somebody is perhaps following something that they think is right, whether they have an honest heart or not will be determined by when they are exposed to the truth, are they going to hold on to, but that's the way I've always believed it, or will they change according to God's word? Now, the high priest would have had no problem with Paul's prior life when he was persecuting the church, but the high priest does have a problem with Paul's recent life. And so when Paul stands before the high priest and says, hey, I've been doing what I think I ought to do, that makes the high priest mad. And he gives a command that somebody smack, smack Paul, smite him on the mouth, mine says. Right. And uh, what was Paul's response? Uh, he said that God would strike him. Yeah. And so somebody said, you know, kind of like, how dare you? He said, do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, 
I knew not, brethren, that he was high priest. And then there's this statement where it's written, thou shalt not speak evil of a ruler of thy people. So explain that, Michael. <laughs> uh, I was uh, wondering about, we were talking beforehand, but I was wondering, uh, why did Paul say, why did Paul quote that? Because it seems like Paul's taking back a statement, which would seem like I, I would expect Paul to keep to um, rebuke Ananias again. But uh, it seems like he's taking back a statement. He backs off, doesn't he? Yeah. Okay. You handled that so well. So folks, we were talking about this before the webcast and that was actually the question Michael answered. We kind of refused to answer it and said, we'd discuss it during the webcast. And so then I thought I'd beat Michael to the punch and put the question to him, but mm -hmm. uh, he definitely uh, said, well, it seems like he's taking it back and throws the question back in our lap. He, he did all well right. with that. Yeah. All right. So Joe, um, what do we make of this? I've well, actually, go ahead. Okay. Well, I think there's a couple of different possibilities. Um, there is some indication that Paul had bad eyesight. Um, and so some have suggested, well, maybe Paul just didn't recognize him. Um, and the text doesn't tell us one way or another. So I'll say, okay, that is a possibility. I think a couple of things we ought to factor in here. One, uh, Paul had received letters from the Jewish council that the high priest would have been in charge of. Um, Paul was an, an up and rising star in amongst the Pharisees. Um, it's hard to imagine that Paul and the high priest would not have recognized each other, even after some years of, of separation. Um, he just referenced that he had received letters in chapter 22, that he had he'd received letters to go to Damascus with that. So it seems kind of odd that he literally just didn't recognize him and, and made a an honest mistake there. Uh, possibility, but that seems kind of strange um, uh, in coming from, from Paul, everything else that we know. I think another possibility maybe to, to consider, and I'll throw this out and then Jeff can just destroy my argument if he'd like. Um, just waiting, just chomping at the bit. <laughs> and so... Uh, think about, and we've talked before about how so much of what happens to Paul is compared to what happened to Jesus as well. Right. And so you have a couple of situations, maybe, for example, in Matthew chapter 23, um, uh, when uh, Jesus is condemning the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, he says, uh, verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like white whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outside but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness mm -hmm. um, uh, you know he pretty strongly rebukes he talks about those that are sitting in moses's seat chapter 23 and verse 2 and then he just really lays into them um it doesn't really respect those offices if you will because they have become dishonest men in that um and we, we see uh, at other points when the high priest uh, tears his clothes and so forth, you know, he's not acting as high priest. And so my suggestion would be that this is sort of, I won't say tongue in cheek or sarcasm, yeah. but that he's, that he's saying this isn't the high priest anymore. Um, because who is actually the high priest now? Jesus Christ is. And so I would suggest that a, a good possibility here would be that he's saying, I didn't know, brethren, that he was high priest. In a thing. He's not. You know, he may be wearing the robe, but he's not really the one that Moses is referring to at this moment. 
And then again, sort of the irony of that, the quote that's made in Exodus 22, 28, whether yeah. Paul is saying that or whether Luke is adding this to the text, again, would be fitting for Jesus. Uh, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. Well, who did that? The, the high priest. priest. <laughs> exactly. And, and so it seems to me that, that Paul is really, that this is sort of a moment for him to identify who the true high priest is. You know, that, that's really interesting. That had never crossed my mind. I can see that. Um, I don't know that, that that's what's going on here. And of course, you're saying, yeah, I don't think you're saying you know that's what's going on here either. But that's that's an interesting possibility. I don't have a whole lot to say about this. I, I, I was looking for something I'd put together a few years ago before we went on went live. And just before we went live, I found it. And all I have here is, can't share your screen. Hmm. Let me try this one more time. Stop sharing, start sharing, share window, share that window, share. It uh, looks like it's going to work this time. Okay, so you see this slide. It says, why didn't Paul recognize the high priest? And I don't I don't pretend to, do you see it? Is it up on yep, screen? Yes, yep. Okay. I don't pretend to, to give the answer here, um, but just noting what you noted back in Acts 9, Paul went to the high priest. Now that is some years earlier, but you still, you have the question, you know, he had a connection with the high priest and he doesn't seem to recognize the high priest. Now what you said, Joe, is interesting, but here is, is this for what it's worth. The Annas that we have earlier in the New Testament is this Annas ben Seth, who was high priest from 86 to 15. This is of course, um, from that great scholarly source par excellence, Wikipedia. <laughs> and then, then Caiaphas um, is the son-in-law of the high priest Ananus ben Seth, and he's high priest from 18 to 36. And um, at this point, where we are in, in Acts chapter 23 in time, it would be another Annas or Ananias ben Nebadeus, however you say that, so this is Caiaphas, and this is the, the, the high priest in Acts 23, 2, 3, 5. So there have been quite a number of high priests that have come and gone, and this one is a different one. You'd still think maybe he'd be recognizable. Um, I'm going to skip that. But the other thing that I'm going to notice is in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 3, the term the chief priests, plural, and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas, which is singular. Uh, it's the same word in both those places in Greek. In other words, there's a little bit of uncertainty sometime in the text when it talks about a high priest. Is it the high priest or is it one of the several priests who were chief priests? And it's really context that lets you know that. So, that's not going to answer the question at all. It's just some background information that, that might allow for some uncertainty. And then again, there's the possibility that you suggested, Joe. And I'll, I'll just tell you the truth. I don't know if it's right or not, but I kind of like the idea that Paul says, uh, I didn't know you were high priest, as, as in you're not. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we might also, and this doesn't, maybe this is a uh, just a related to that question, doesn't really answer it. But we're finding what Paul is doing here, the circumstances, again, are just very similar to what happened to Jesus in John 18, when the high priest is questioning uh, Jesus about his disciples and doctrine. 
John 18, 19, Jesus answered, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret, I've said nothing. Why do you, why do you ask me? Ask those who heard me, uh, who heard what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus right. with the palm of his hand, saying, do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, if I've spoke evil, bear witness of the evil. But if by if well, why do you strike me? Right. And so, again, you have a striking of a servant of the high priest in both situations. In that text, Jesus makes the point, I've not done anything wrong there. And so if there's a parallel, if that's intended to be a parallel, then I think that would suggest that Paul well, hadn't done anything wrong. wrong. Yeah. Again, uh, yeah. I, so so I, I just have to kind of leave that as those are some interesting possibilities. It is. It is. All right, Michael, is that good enough for that? Yeah, um, I agree with uh, what uh, what Joe said. And I think that fits more with um, the context of the story because I don't get the uh, uh, the impression that that uh, Luke is writing and kind of defending uh, the high priest a bit. And even though this, if, if this verse, it does refer to the fact to Paul um, kind of taking back what he said, it would seem like kind of an you know, almost approval of of what the high priest did. Though that is not the impression I'm getting through, um, throughout the book of Acts, especially in these chapters. So yeah, I, I agree with um, Joe's interpretation. All right. All right. So now we get to really what is kind of the critical part of this uh, little episode, starting in verse um, six, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees, touching the hope and resurrection of the dead. I am called in question. Um when he had said so, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was in, was divided. And then Luke explains, for the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. So we'll go on in a moment and read the what happens as a result. But let's just make sure we understand, okay, what are Sadducees and what are Pharisees, and what does Paul do here? So Sadducees would be uh, the the ruling party generally of the high priest, right? Right. Um, right. Uh, and uh, so they sort of had a lot of the control, but they were very much not so much sticklers on following the law. Uh, whereas the Pharisees were were quite um, serious about following their interpretation of uh, the law and uh, had even a greater hatred for the the Romans and so forth. And then you have here uh, just kind of doctrinally uh, some, some good distinctions amongst them regarding um, uh, the, the resurrection from the dead and angels and spirits. Uh, uh, so. Yeah, and there's an irony, I think, when you think about the Sadducees and Pharisees, both Jews, they're all Jews. Mm -hmm. and. And they share power in this council. But you note well that the Sadducees control the higher echelons of the priesthood. The irony is the Sadducees were kind of the modernists, the materialists of the day. Um, if I'm thinking right, they really only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament. The rest of the Old Testament, they didn't, they didn't put a lot of stock in. Uh, is that your understanding? 
that that's that seems to ring a bell, but I'm not quite I'm not one hundred percent sure on that. And and Luke tells us something that Josephus also Josephus, a first century historian, also tells us about the Sadducees. They didn't believe in spiritual beings. They they kind of were you know I believe in what I can see, but you talk about angels, spirits, uh, resurrection from the dead. They didn't believe in that stuff. So the irony is these guys who were the the upper echelon of the priesthood, these guys who are supposed to be prominent religious figures and representatives of the people before God, they're not spiritual people. And should we find that in our day and age, should we find that odd? Well, in one sense, yes. But in another sense, what? We got a lot of religious leaders today who do not believe Jesus was raised from the dead bodily, literally, who who do not who who will explain away Jesus' miracles by some rational means, who do not believe Jesus was literally born of a virgin, uh, who do not believe Jesus is coming back again, and yet they will be religious leaders of some denomination or in some church somewhere. So maybe maybe we maybe we. Sh- shouldn't find this all that surprising disappointing yes but not all that surprising and and wouldn't the the leaders at least as we go back to previous like with alexander the great and so forth the high priest were only allowed to be high priest at the pleasure of the ruling nation uh you know isn't it a, a case where uh at least that on some occasions uh, it was the Greeks. I don't, I'm not sure about the Romans, if they would have controlled some of that as well. So for the last 200 years before Christ, so the last 150 years or so, 150 to 200 years, there the, the high priest was a very much political and religious position. And, and the high priest often was somebody who certainly was cozy with the political leaders. And it was important that that uh, he maintained that relationship. And so that would have meant that clearly the Pharisees would not have been chosen amongst those. Right, right, right. All right, so so there's this, this dichotomy between the two groups of Jews in this council before whom Paul stands. And Paul uh, deftly splits the council, highlighting the distinction between them by saying, hey, wait a minute, I, 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 I'm not somebody who's anti-Jew. I'm a Pharisee and a son of a Pharisee, which, which we know he's a Pharisee. Paul talks about that in Philippians chapter 3, and earlier in chapter 22, he talked about being brought up at the feet of Gamaliel, uh, instructed in, in the law according to the traditions of the elders. And and But here he, he goes further and specifies a favorite doctrine of the Pharisees, which the Sadducees rejected. And touching the resurrection of the dead, I'm called in question. Uh, why could Paul say he was called in question touching the resurrection of the dead? Well, that's because he uh, he preaches the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. In fact, it, if you think about it, Paul was a persecutor of the followers of Jesus until what? Until he was, until he met the Lord. Till he saw the resurrected Lord. Res- resurrected Jesus. So apparently, before that, he just didn't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. It's the resurrection that led him to believe Jesus is is the Christ, and now to become a proclaimer 
of the gospel. And as we've noted several times in our study of the book of Acts, proclaiming the resurrection was a constant in, in the preaching of Peter and Paul throughout the book of Acts. And uh, so th this is at the heart of the message he's preaching. Jesus has been raised from the dead, and so can we be. Well, this is the thing neither the Pharisees nor the Sadducees wanted to accept, that Jesus was raised from the dead. And, and so it's legitimate that he can say, you know, it's really the resurrection is the reason I'm here. But in putting it that way, the Pharisees, who are sitting across the table, so to speak, from the Sadducees, they're for the resurrection. And they've got an opportunity here to say, well, you know, we, we believe in the resurrection. And so let's go on. And Michael, how about reading verse 9 through 10? Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong in this man. What if in a spirit or an angel spoke to him? <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I love that. Oh, we, you know what? We don't find anything wrong in this guy. After all, what if an angel that you Sadducees don't believe in or a spirit that you Sadducees don't believe in spoke to him? It seems to me they are just rubbing it in. Yeah, they, they, they have they have seriously taken Paul's statement and ran with it, right? Uh, this is just their opportunity to really proclaim their doctrine and, and emphasize it. All of a sudden, um, Paul's one of the good guys. Uh, they, they get to use his statement to, to yell at the other side even more. And if you're a Sadducee and you're sitting there and all of a sudden half the council turns against you in this matter of this, this Paul you've got in front of you, and they're rubbing it in your face that they believe in a resurrection and spirits and angels, how do you react as a Sadducee if you're a worldly Sadducee? Uh, you're going to be very upset. So verse, uh, verse 10, Michael. Yeah. Uh, l let me say something first about the spirit of angels. It was actually, it was God who spoke to him. So more than a spirit or an angel. And one thing I want to note is that um, Jesus said that uh, God is spirit and we must worship in the spirit and truth. So if Sadducees reject any, anything they can't see, then are they literally rejecting God then? Which is yeah. ironic, again, like Jeff said, because they're the upper echelon of, of the priesthood. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And certainly, you know, you would imagine Sadducees would have denied that they were rejecting God, but in practical terms, they, they certainly were. Sounds like a lot of religious leaders today as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. All right, so we talked a little bit last week. Joe, you weren't with us last week, but we did talk a little bit about the Roman barracks that most understood to understand to have been on the northwest corner of the temple complex, and that's where Paul had originally been taken by Claudius Lysias, the chief captain, and he'd gotten an opportunity to speak to the people back in chapter 22. And so now, okay, he's, he's taken um, back there. Um, wait, am I confused? We are in... No, we're good. Okay. All right. So anything else? Are we ready to move on to chapter 11? Joe, you want to pick it up there? I mean, not chapter 11. Uh, okay. Verse 11, sure. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now, there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. 
They came to the chief priests and elders and said, we've bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you, therefore, together with the council, suggested the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him. But we're ready, but we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Keep going. No, that's good. Um, just before we get into the text itself, I just want you to notice that at this point, Luke is really carefully chronicling the passage of time, and it's passing quickly. So, for example, in chapter 22 and verse 30, it said, on the morrow, uh, and then it talks about Paul before the council. And then we get to 23, verse 11, and the night following. So, all right, we, we know how, how much time has passed, basically a day. And, and then the Lord stood before him. And then verse 12 of chapter 23, and when it was day, so, so now it's the next day, and we'll come to uh, chapter 23, verse 23, the third hour of the night, he's going to be escorted away. And then we'll just jump ahead to chapter 24, verse 1, after five days. And, and you can just go through until you get over to chapter 24 and verse 27, and then two years pass. But from the time that uh, Paul is arrested to the time that uh, he begins his two-year sentence under Felix, it's just a matter of days. And, and Luke records that very carefully. And then after the two years, we'll see the same thing again. Um, so I just wanted to make that observation. But that helps us when we start trying to date events in the life of Paul we have that linchpin back in Acts chapter 18 where you have the reference to Gallio's time as proconsul, and we know where that is in history, and, and we can work forward or backwards from there. And certainly working forwards in time, it becomes quite easy in the rest of the book of Acts. So that's all I wanted to mention. Yeah, really, uh, that is quite helpful to, to make note. Uh, it seems as if Luke does not mention... Uh, uh, dates or timestamps, uh, just uh, for the sake of mentioning them. Uh, there's a chronology intended. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So okay. I, know that, uh, I know that my video is a little bit off there, but I'll, uh, I'll keep going if I can. Uh, oh, you first, look good now. Yeah, I figured I would. Uh, <laughs> verse 11, I think, is just a really interesting uh, statement that Luke inserts. Uh, you know, it doesn't really appear to, uh, you know, he, he's carrying on this conversation about what all happened, but then he makes the statement, the Lord stood by him. Um, uh, how comforting of a statement that is. Uh, we'll see that in other situations, especially later on um, uh, with uh, Paul on, uh, on the, the boat in uh, chapter 27. Uh, for there stood by me this night an angel of God saying, do not be afraid, Paul, chapter 27, 23, and 24. Um, uh, but the Lord standing by him, uh, I think it's just a, a powerful statement um, uh, that, that ought to give us encouragement also. We get glimpses of that at various times through the Bible. Uh, Elisha, for example, um, uh, and uh, the, the Syrians surrounding him and other cases like that, it ought to, we ought to be reminded that God is with us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you just take this at face value and I, I, you know, you could take this a few ways, I guess, but if you take this at face value, Jesus who appeared to him on the road to Damascus and changed his world, changed his reality as he came to realize Jesus is still alive. And now as Paul 
his life is threatened. And I would take this to be Jesus comes and stands by him again. I think that would be greatly reassuring. But whether in the flesh or not, the Lord does stand by us. And I like your references to, for example, Elisha and so on. And, and Jesus had promised before his ascension, Matthew 28, 20, uh, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, Paul's already written to other people, like in the book of Philippians, you know, the Lord is at hand. Um, uh, and now he's experiencing that himself as well. And I'll, and I'll mention just a little bit further along in Acts, we're going to have Paul giving another account of his conversion. And he's going to say that when he first saw the Lord on the road to Damascus, and this is over in Acts chapter 26 and verse 17, that Jesus said to him then, for to this end I have appeared unto you to appoint you a minister and a witness, both of the things wherein you have seen me and of the things wherein I will appear unto you. So that's kind of interesting. Indeed. So what was the plot? Well, look, look, I mentioned one more thing here before we get to that plot, actually. In, yeah. verse, in verse 11, he says, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer. And so like, you know, cheer up, you know, don't be discouraged because of what? You, you've got to testify for me at Rome. Yeah. And you've, and you've testified in Jerusalem. How well has that gone for Paul? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Uh, he was nearly killed by the mob, falsely accused, nearly killed by the mob, nearly beaten by Roman soldiers, almost torn in, in half by the Sanhedrin. And the Lord says, hey, cheer up, Paul. The same thing that happened to you in Jerusalem is going to happen to you in Rome. But it's the like, Lord who's saying that to him has conquered death. Amen. So yeah. And 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 so it's very similar to the statement that you have in John 16 when Jesus says to the apostles, Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. But in that statement in John 16, 33, these things I have spoken to you that in me you have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And so while there may not be cause for smiling and laughing all the time, there is cause for joy and cheer in the Lord. Yeah, that's interesting. But my translation actually says, take courage. Yeah. And I'm, um, I'm reminded of uh, God's statement to Joshua to say, be strong yeah. and courageous, which is something that Paul would definitely need to uh, continue on his, um, his mission that the Lord assigned him. That's, that's, a, that's helpful. So um, back in Acts chapter 20, Paul uh, went through Macedonia and came to Achaia. And that's where Corinth is in the first verse, first one or two verses of Acts 20. And at that point, Paul wrote the letter to the Romans uh, in which he said, I hope to come to you when I'm on my way to Spain. And but now I've got to go to Jerusalem. So he's come to Jerusalem and he's gotten in this trouble, but the Lord says, you must bear witness also at Rome. You are going to Rome. Mm -hmm. And so that's what lies ahead. So now tell us about the plot. we got to get to this plot. So there's some Jews that have banded together, and they've taken this vow. They're not going to eat or drink until they've killed Paul. And these guys must have gotten awful hungry. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, when, you know when, when people make such silly vows in uh, contradiction to God's will, uh, it just really stands out, doesn't it? Uh, so this, 
and and but there's a good number. There's forty of more than forty of them uh, that have uh, done this. Yeah. And they and they've got almost a foolproof plan. Almost a foolproof <laughs> plan. You know, you 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 call him down, and and as they're as they're bringing him through the streets, we're going to slaughter him. Right. We're uh, going to make it sound. We just want to bring him to the council one more time and try try to have a discussion with him again, but he'll never get there. Um, it's interesting to me, the various places we see references to Paul's family in one way or another. And most of the time we don't know anything about their names or anything, but here we have Paul's sister's son mentioned in verse 16. So I guess his nephew, and he heard about this plot. So he comes to the council and visits Paul, tells Paul. So Paul calls one of the centurions and says, take this young man, my nephew, to the chief captain and tell him. Uh, he's got something to tell him. So that's where it pick up. And Michael, if you would start in verse 18 and read through verse um, 21. Should I just finish at 22? That's where my section ends. All right. All right. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you uh, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now... They are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Okay. Um, yours says tribune, mine says chief captain. We've not been told his name yet, but this is the guy who came down when Paul was being accosted in the temple. And we're about to find out his name when he writes a letter in verse 26. We'll get there in just a moment. Uh, verse 23 says... He called unto him two of the centurions and said, make ready 200 soldiers to go as far as Caesarea and horsemen, three score and 10. So 70 horsemen, spearmen, 200. So we have a hundred soldiers, 200 spearmen and 70 horsemen. And he bade them provide beasts that they might set Paul thereon and bring him safe unto Felix, the governor. And then it's going to tell us about the letter. Thoughts about this contingent escorting Paul to Caesarea? Well, they get the jump on the planners. They don't get to uh, carry out what they were going to, right? Um, uh, but then you've got, uh, so I have 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen, 470, right? Yeah. Oh, did I miss 100 of them? I think I think there's 200 soldiers. Yep, and you're right. 200 spearmen. Two. It, it was a line wrap. The two was on the previous line. So, so, so four, 470 versus approximately 40 um <laughs> and these 470 are trained roman soldiers um but, but he's not taking any chances is he no um, uh, he's he's going to make sure that paul is safe and and maybe there's more to this but it, at the very least this seems to be to be a reflection of how seriously the romans took the rights of being a roman citizen they were not going to allow some uh, a brigand of whatever uh, attack a Roman citizen, um, and they're going to protect him. And, and it's kind of interesting to think about how many times we have uh, um, uh, non-religious people or pagans or worldly people 
protecting God's people. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. we had that same thing back in Ephesus, right? Um, uh, when uh, the yep. city clerk had, uh, you know, dismissed the assembly um, uh, that, that would have preferred to have, have killed Paul and, and the rest of them. Um, multiple occasions we have that taking place. And, and that's the thing for us to remember today. God works through all sorts of people. Um, and I, I think we see God's hand here. The, the, the letter is interesting. And, and I say, I think we see God's hand. I know we do. Jesus, the Lord's already stood by Paul and said, you're going to Rome. Yeah. So, yeah. so God's got a plan here. Uh, he's not going to die at the hands of these 40 men. But, but you know, it, if we didn't have that statement that the Lord stood by him and promised him that, and if we didn't, if we weren't reading this as inspired from God, and we're just reading this as a history, Paul had been thrown in prison, that they it was a plot against him, but they sent him a day early because this young man discovered it. You know, if you could easily see how the world could almost take God out of that yep. and and not see God's hand in this whole thing. Um, uh, so it's helpful for us, I think, as we're walking day by day uh, to be uh, seeking to give God the glory for the things that may even seem like, oh, uh, what a coincidence that this young man happened to hear this. No, I don't think so. Well, well put. Well put, Joe. Yeah. Go ahead, Michael. Thank you. Um, so th- this part also reminds me of the, uh, was it Elisha, the part where uh, Elisha and his servant, was it Elijah or Elisha? Elisha. I don't remember. But, and then the Syrian army, like, was it Joe that mentioned it earlier? And then um, the, the servant is scared, but then Elisha tells him to ask God to open his eyes and see the spiritual forces which are on their side. And, of course, they were defended from the mass army from the Syrians. And this 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 part reminds me of that too where you know 40 people it's like wow that's kind of overkill you think about it but then you know 40 versus one but now all of a sudden the tables have turned because of god's hand in it and now it's 40 versus 470 so now um it just reminds me of that story that imagery where even though the enemy forces seem big those who are on our side are much more excellent amen so then we get the letter that is written because this this tribune or this chief captain has to write a letter to a company to send with Paul to the governor. Uh, the governor, by the way, would be a successor, not an immediate successor, to Pontius Pilate. That is, he's in the same office that Pontius Pilate had been previously. And the, the governor's name is, Claudia, is Felix. It's interesting to me that we have two letters in the book of Acts that Luke just records the letter in total. And here he does so. Verse 26 is where it begins. Verse 25 is the introduction to it. It says he wrote a letter after this form. And then here's the letter, verse 26. Claudius Lysias, unto the most excellent governor Felix, greeting. That's a very short version of how Paul's letters begin, where he'll be writing, see, he'll say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He might add, say, for example, Sosthenes, our brother, or depending on who's with him when he's writing. But he'll identify himself and whoever else is with him as Claudius Lysias identifies himself. He'll say who he is, a servant of Jesus Christ, as Claudius Lysias says. Uh, well, Claudius Lysias actually doesn't. But then he'll say, unto the most excellent Governor Felix, as Paul might say, unto the saints of God at Corinth. And then greeting except Paul would say grace and peace. Um, And there's actually an etymological connection between the typical word for greeting in Greek and the word for grace. And Paul just kind of adapts 
the typical greeting, changes it to grace, and then adds and peace. And then he, he then the body of the letter. So here in verse 27, the letter says, this man was seized by the Jews, was about to be slain of them, when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. What do you think about it? Michael, you're smiling. Yeah. Um, he seems to be exaggerating his uh, his uh, influence in uh, saving Paul here a little bit. He's exact. Did you say he's exaggerating? Yeah. yeah. In fact, he came upon him not knowing he was Roman and thinking he was the Egyptian assassin and uh, did kind of rescue him, but was not treating him like uh, somebody needing to be rescued as much as somebody needing to be arrested. Um, leaves the scourging completely out of the story. Yeah, it skips all that. Skips all that. <laughs> Verse 28, the letter continues. Desiring to know the cause wherefore they accused him, I brought him down unto their council, whom I found to be accused about questions of their law, but to have nothing laid to his charge worthy of death or bonds. When it was shown to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to thee forthwith, charging his accusers also to speak against him before thee. I have handled this thing perfectly, and I am sending him to you, um, and you can expect to hear from his accusers. Anything else you want to notice in that? Well, just really quickly, again, you know, and we're going to see this over and over and over and over. I think I said that correctly, um, that nobody is going to have a charge against Paul, right. and yet he's going to continue the journey to Rome as God had said. You know, the logical thing, it seems like at this point, is that the commander would have let him go. I, I have no charge against him. There's, right. there's no reason for me to hold him. Right. He's not broken any Roman laws. But yet, on he goes, as God had said. Yeah. I'm going to just real quickly read to the end of the chapter, and that'll set us up for next week. Verse 31. So the soldiers, as it was commanded them, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. But on the morrow, they left the horsemen to go with him and returned to the council. So those 200 horsemen go on with him. And they, when they came to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, presented Paul also before him. And when he had read it, he asked of what province he was. And when he understood that he was of Cilicia, which is up in the northeastern corner of the Mediterranean Sea, he said, I'll hear you fully, said he, when your accusers also are come. And he commanded them to be kept at Herod's palace. So that'll do it for today. We'll pick it up in the next chapter next week. Um, and it's good to have you here with us today, Michael. And uh, Lord willing, we have you join us again next week too, right? Thank you. Face back. So thank you all for uh, being with us today. And we hope to see you next week.